Well, everyone, it's Rob Borrego and Stan Wissman back with another Reimagining Cyber Extra episode. And we're excited to share something that kind of traverses quite a bit, I think, of our audience, Stan, right? So we're going to talk about um, some recent events relative to the government sector that you participated in, which I'm excited to hear and learn more about. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to also talk a little bit about um, kind of the commercial side of things, right? And what we're seeing out there in the you know, cyber market overall, some of the impacts of the recession, um, but also growth, great growth opportunities. And I think it's important because our audience just spans such a kind of broad range of whether it's federal, whether it's commercial, whether they're CISOs, whether they're um, just getting started, right, in cyber. We know we've even had students, you know, in in, in the mix and listening, which is great. Um, and we also have this kind of global landscape, you know, reach as well. So I think it's just, you know, an interesting set of topics that we're going to be covering, but also very much broad that helps bring them all in and, and, and engage a little bit more detail on these particular items. So why don't I start with the new uh, kind of and uh, most recent event that you participated in, Stan, the Government Innovation Summit. Why don't you share what happened there? And I know you played a big role also in the event. That's right. I was lucky enough to, to be asked to be the chair of this uh, Government Innovation Summit that the Public Sector Network organized. It was on the 14th of December, and PSN pulled together a great agenda of speakers and panelists from the public sector. Um, and as you can imagine, Rob, we heard all about the impact of cloud technology on the public sector, how AI and ML and RPAs are being used. Cybersecurity was talked about in the context like zero trust and how agencies are trying to comply with Biden's executive order and how they're having to architect their systems in a way that can be compliant. And they're on that journey. Right. And the other aspect of uh, not a surprise is how you upscale your workforce to be able to take advantage of this new technology. The fact that it's a culture change mm-hmm. and you have challenges with an aging workforce that you have to attract new workers into public sector in this very competitive labor market here in the U.S. And how do you do that effectively? And what are some of the tools that some of the agencies are using? But one of the other dominant themes um, was how public sector agencies are embedding data analytics at the core of their operations and enabling data-driven decision-making, mm-hmm. as well as increased transparency to data that the public sector agencies are are holding. Interesting. So, so was there a bit of... Uh... I guess a cyber lens put on top of that and privacy elements, part of that discussion. In, in fact, you know, as far as the representation of the privacy side of the equation, they brought in the chief privacy officer of CISA, okay. uh, James Bird. And he reminded everybody that, you know, as we're talking all about this all great use of data, you can't forget about privacy, you know, and, and its importance. And, and one of the things that he really honed in on was capturing the purpose of why you have that data uh, as you're collecting it, because that really helps ensure that how that data is used in the future right. um, is, is appropriate. So if you're if you're collecting that data in the context of um, healthcare, right, needs, you know, let's mm-hmm. say it's again some kind of patient record or some kind of associated medical related data that you've collected on this individual. 
using it in a healthcare context makes sense then in the future. But you cannot use that data in another context outside of the initial purpose. Yeah. And and that was something he was trying to drive home with folks that you may have to re- recollect or send out some other kind of notification to collect the authorization that use it for this other purpose. Yes. That we 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 need to be putting that into our our um our thought process as you're looking at the health data life cycle. And and if you may not even have envisioned other uses for that data, but if you try to use that data for other purposes, then you're going to get yourself in trouble. So it's great to hear that that's coming from government and CISA specifically, because, you know, we've been doing a lot on that particular kind of area as it relates to the purpose, right? The purpose kind of based mm-hmm. access. And um, it, it's, so it's interesting, right? There's been a couple kind of conversations where it's very much a, um, a new topic, a new way of thinking in the approach. And once you have the conversation, is a realization of this light bulb that goes off and people go, well, that makes sense. And it's applicable to our particular business. So if you kind of look at on the commercial sector, there's an organization that we've been working with now for um, the past several months on exactly the use case you just described it. They're in the financial sector. Mm-hmm. And so they cut across, you know, you can, you can do banking with them if you want. You can do obviously your investments with them. There's all sorts of different types of kind of services back through that financial business um, capability that they provide their users, both, you know, consumer and institutional. And so they aggregate all this information and they have the leverage of this data for particular, you know, um, capabilities, let's say, or services that they're delivering. But to your point, it's kind of like this firewall almost that you have to put in place, right? That says, yeah, you have that data sitting over there that's just so valuable. Wouldn't you love it to be able to take it back into market to your particular line of business? But we can't allow you access to it. And it, and if you can't trace back to what that original purpose yes. was when you collected the data, then you're you're again hamstrung as how you can use the data yeah. in the future. And if you think about it, right? So yes, all these privacy regulations are driving at uh, that as an element of it, though it's kind of buried, right? This is why it's an interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. But if you go back to like this particular financial institution, rather large, right? That the SEC is already looking at that. That's, that's an element, right, like of today that says when you have a particular, you know, legal agreement that's binding and saying what you're supposed to be able to deliver as well as the actual use of the data you're capturing on the individual or institution in some cases, this is all you're supposed to be doing with that information. Right. So they have to prove that out or else some severe penalties are coming. So I think it's just a really interesting aspect of some different approaches that people are starting to take into purpose-based access control. That's a great example. They had another very interesting speaker, the chief compliance officer for the National Security Agency, mm. Dr. Janosek. She's a lawyer and she has a PhD in cybersecurity and she's been in government for 30 years. Wow. I, I mean, talk about some credentials, right? I'd love to get her on the podcast, but imagine the, the, ro- the hoops we'd have to go through to get somebody from NSA on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I don't know how she was able to get out and speak, but... Right. um. You know, it was, it was it was it was interesting. She she was talking about how they have shifted compliance left in the data lifecycle. You know, and so they're leveraging the data classification and tagging they're doing to help ensure compliance up front. So less of a detect where there's non-compliance late. It's confirming that there's compliance as they're collecting the data 
And then also late life cycle being much more proactive in the purging mm-hmm. process. Hey, yeah. you know, we're done or we're not, you know, honestly, she didn't necessarily say this, but we shouldn't have collected this as that anyway, get rid of it. You know, so it was, it was an, you know, again, there are limits as to what she can say. Right. Right. Of course. But at that high level, the effort they've taken to try and to, at the top of the funnel, you know, help ensure that they are, are remaining compliant um, as yeah. to their mission. Right. Well, you know, th- th- that's, if you recall when we had um, Greg Anderson on, right, the CPO from uh, EW Scripts, that mm-hmm. was a part of our discussion with them, which was, you know, as their particular business is launching new projects, right, they have a seat at the table of influence as to why these things need to be considered upfront. So kind of the whole data lifecycle governance aspect of it. So being able to do it upfront makes it so much easier to be able to continuously manage that data and say, I'm going to purge it at the right time, right? I, I know what's out there. The flip side of that is all this legacy data that's sitting out there and trying to understand the reality of need for how long we still need this, right? Are there regulations in place, you know, seven years for HIPAA, things of that nature that I still need this data for or not? Um, so again, another good aspect of just seeing how people are really thinking about this whole shift left com- concept and applying it to different things as well. Right. Right. Um, switching, switching gears on you. I you know, know a lot of folks are concerned about the potential of a, a recession hitting us. Mm. You know, that a number of family members and folks I know have been hit by some unfortunate you know, workforce reductions. And um, you know, it's, it's concerning as the, 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 the U.S. Fed continues to increase you know, the basis points, um, interest rates, um, mm-hmm. to try to control inflation, which is important. Right. But I, I, I read a report, um, recently from Spiceworks, Ziff Davis, uh, called their 2023 state of it. And I guess on the, the positive side, as far as how the spend is, is being forecasted at least, or at least reported out by those they surveyed, um, that, majority of companies still expect to increase their IT budgets. And part of that spend is associated with, you know, cybersecurity. And there's an increase expected in the spend on cybersecurity. And so it, it goes to show to some degree that if you're in the cybersecurity field or associated with services and products, uh, we may be a bit of a recession-proof kind of industry in the sense that the need is continuing to be there independent of what the market does. Cyber threats continue to um, hit us and you have to put in the proper defenses and ability to detect and withstand your, these kind of attacks. Mm-hmm. Well, to kind of amplify that, so, I mean, you know this, we, we, um, we're always doing market research, you know, as part of our own business, right? And figuring out kind of, you know, what are the particular markets that we're currently invested in, um, further investing in those markets, other kind of, you know, areas of interest, forward-looking. And so as part of some of the research um, that we were conducting and looking at some of the most relative data, there was a great report. It's, I think, I want to say it was the October, end of October or so timeframe that they released it, but, you know, great resource to go back and look at from McKinsey. And it's basically their cyber uh, market cap uh, survey. It's like 4,000 or so 
you know, organizations globally mm-hmm. that, that respond to this. And so first and foremost, to really amplify your point of, um, you know, the cybersecurity market and spend in that space, if you look at the market today, the spend is roughly $150 billion. And over the next several years, it looks like it's going to grow to actually be two or over $2 trillion. Right? From so 150 billion, $150 billion to $2 trillion? So over 10x wow. in the next several years. Exactly. Wow. So if, if you look at some of the kind of things that they're talking about in there, um, they're looking at growth, great growth opportunities in you know, many different areas, though you know, I'll call out like things we're talking about, right? Data privacy, data protection, major emphasis, one of the key growth areas. Um, Driven by how much data people are oh, using in terms of analytics and operations, right? Exactly, right? Because again, yeah, the businesses are driving the use of the data that drive new insights and making decisions on generating new streams of revenue, launching new services. Yeah, absolutely. But again, what are the privacy and cyber elements behind that? So that's a big piece of that. Um, the identity continues to grow. You talked about some of them, you know, in, in some of the things that you heard at the summit as well. But identity is a key central point of investment. Uh, application security. How many episodes have we had on application security around you know, securing the software supply chain, right? So that that was a huge area. Um, and then analytics around security and operationalizing, you know, and, and more efficiency. So kind of even you mentioned earlier that you know, not only do we have a cyber talent shortage. Then we have kind of this bit of an issue around the aging workforce, right? right? That certainly was talked about a lot at the the summit. Yes, yeah. Uh, so that's it, another. It, it was. It's one of those continuous challenges of how do you attract people right. into STEM and into honestly, in their context, the, the public sector. Yep. Yep. Completely agreed with that. And, and and so, great. Lots of growth opportunity. Some different areas of the growth opportunity, right? But it goes across all cyber areas, but. Um, when you kind of peel back the onion from looking at the survey, it's, you know, what are the particular areas that they're calling out for the reasons for this hyper growth? And so they kind of boiled it down to, I think it was a handful or so. So, so one is all, and we kind of talked about this, all of this digital transformation that we've been going through, what's it doing? It's continuously increasing the attack surface, right? So we need to have better visibility, which is kind of the second thing. The CISOs need better visibility. So they're looking for that tooling that supports their way of doing it. They're not looking for further investment in yet another tool, but if you have a way that kind of looks at the current investments we have, be able to kind of better rationalize which ones we actually should continue to use. And, and then take, almost and like take, an and take full advantage, right? Of the take tools that they currently have, right? Absolutely, because as we know, right? It's only a certain percentage typically that it's being used for, right? They're not looking and understanding what else they can actually attribute to. But then this kind of umbrella over the top, because they have all these kind of elements of, you know, in some cases, silos of security tooling, like how do we actually put it all together is another key area of what they were calling out. And then, of course, you know, this this whole cyber and privacy regulatory landscape that we're living in and the changes that are happening there globally, right? Um, but then the other one, again, was back into the cyber talent, right? And so one of the key pieces of that was, you know, how do you help solve for that? Um, and so a lot of organizations, you know, in addition to figuring out kind of changing some of the hiring practices. And if you remember not that long ago, we talked to Jim Rouse, right? And Damon Carter about kind of some right. of the approaches that they took. And just thinking outside the box like that helps tremendously. But obviously organizations need to figure out a way to do things very quickly. And so a lot of that leans on how can we actually consume 
these different security solutions um, through SaaS capabilities, through MSS, right? Managed security services offerings. Um, so that's, again, a very big part of the opportunity out there. They may not have the staff or the expertise to continue to maintain an on-premise right. Right. model. And so they have to shift to either managed services or on. Another, another thing as far as that was talked about, on the, there were folks from the VA that were at the summit, and they were talking about how they're leveraging RPAs to mm-hmm. yeah. take care of these mundane, repetitive tasks. And that is saving them you know, what would have been hours and hours of labor on a number of tasks. Now that doesn't translate necessarily to security kind of activity, but again, looking at ways you can leverage technology in the face of this workforce shortage you have and how you can make things more efficient. Yeah. Um, that, that was a lot, you know, that drew a lot of attention from other yeah. agencies. The fact that VA was finding success in the use of RPAs. Automation, I think, you know, we've been talking about it for a while now, but the reality of being able to see the return value on it is is finally starting to come to fruition. And I think yeah, robotic process automation capabilities are, are are starting to kind of, you know, show that as one element. And we need to do more, you know, obviously in the cyber areas uh, as well to, to help the, the skill shortage overall. So, hey, before we wrap, I just wanted to share with our listeners the fact that we, we now have our podcast posted up on YouTube. We do. Um, they have a yes. YouTube channel uh, that has all of our episodes. And if you do a search on reimagining cyber, you should be able to find them. Definitely. Take care, everyone. Take care.